0: Jesus, speak to us today. Give us ears that hear and a heart that's ready to receive. And may your name be praised this day. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we ask these things. Amen. Well, We've been in a series on the Sermon on the Mount, the King's Speech the greatest sermon ever preached, and we're getting close to the end. Last week, Destin preached and talked about chapter 7, one of the most misunderstood passages of all Scripture, Judge not, uh, lest you be judged. Of course, he did a great job of explaining that uh, this does not mean we cannot make assessments or evaluations. We are are to make assessments and evaluations. We are to make discernments. So it's not saying that. And, you know, it's the classic people say, well, you know, you shouldn't judge. Well, if, that's, if you're going to take that to your form, that person just judged you, okay? Uh, but we are to make assessments. So we are sometimes to critique our brothers and sisters in Christ, but for the purpose of correction, for the purpose of restoring relationship, for the purpose of drawing them toward Jesus Christ. The word used here for judge is condemn, one who seeks to destroy, one who uh, uses no mercy but seeks to simply condemn someone. So he did a great job on that, and if you had not heard that, I encourage you to go back and listen to it online. But also, uh, he ended with this particular verse, which is one of the more controversial and more puzzling passages of Scripture or verses of Scripture in all of the Bible and you've heard it before, but let me read it to you again. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. Don't give the dogs what's holy. Now, first of all, let me say this. That was a Jewish expression during Jesus' day. Uh, a lot of times the pagan, pagan culture... And the pagan religions, uh, they would offer a sacrifice, and of course, after it was done, after they had burned it or put it up there, they would do one of two things. If it was just raw and they had offered, of course, their god didn't do anything with it. Uh, then they would go and they would sell it, and it would kind of be second, you know, second day, third day meat that was sold in the marketplace. But if it was something that they had burned, uh, they would often take it and just throw in the ground or throw it to the dogs, and so there was the understanding by the Jewish people that sacrifices that were offered to God, either they were totally consumed or some certain type of sacrifices could be eaten by the priest. But it was never to be taken and thrown on the ground because it was considered holy. It was never, as some of the pagans would have done, be thrown to the dog. So uh, it's good for us to understand that as we look at this passage. But that's not the meaning of the text here. He says, do not throw your pearls before pigs. Now, in the early church, many took that to mean that, you know what, if you are taking communion, if you're serving communion, then people who don't know Christ, people who are, have not come to understand God, His mercy, then they shouldn't partake of uh, the bread or the wine. And that's that's fine, and that, that's a good, uh, that's a good idea, and that's something that we want to practice here as well, but that's not what I believe he's talking about. Uh, Still others uh, thought it meant, you know what, and many people today still think this, you know there's some people that are so bad, they're so irreligious that they shouldn't even hear the gospel. It shouldn't even be given to them. But that contradicts the Great Commission. That contradicts John 3 16. That contradicts Jesus's whole life. If you think about the prayer of the publican and the Pharisee. Jesus heard the publican's prayer, but not the Pharisee's prayer. So that cannot be what it means. And I would challenge you on that interpretation. What I believe Jesus is talking about here, and pearls before swine—that's quite As a matter of fact. I had a little uh, had a little image there. Uh, pearls before swine. He said, "Is it good to eat?" And he goes, "No, I tried it. Yuck." Okay. It's kind of that little picture there of, if you just could envision throwing a set of pearls before swine. what does the pig want to do? Well, the pig wants to eat it, and it has no value to it. It doesn't taste good, so they're just going to trample on it. A dog wouldn't eat it because they don't understand the value that exists there. They don't understand the purpose of the pearls. That's not their understanding, and You know, that's the interpretation for us to understand this text here, or this particular verse, that until people know Christ, the kingdom ethic that Jesus has been preaching about, he's talking to his followers here. He's talking about the kingdom life. They're not going to understand it. Most of the time, when you saw the word pearl in the Old Testament, it was symbolic of wisdom. In the New Testament, we see it being uh, symbolic of, Of the life that Jesus is offering, of the kingdom of God, of the kingdom life, of His salvation. We see it in Matthew chapter 13. We see where a man finds a beautiful pearl, an exquisite pearl, and he goes and he sells everything that he owns so that he might buy that pearl. That was the picture of the kingdom life, of the salvation of Jesus Christ. And what Jesus is talking about to his followers here, he said, really the only message that we give to people who don't know Christ, the only preaching that should be done to them is the gospel. That we are all sinners and that we all stand in need of a gracious and loving God to forgive us. And that loving and gracious God has made a way through Jesus Christ by putting our faith in him, trusting Jesus and him alone to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That is the gospel. Until people come and accept Jesus Christ and accept that message of the gospel, they shouldn't understand. They're not going to understand when Jesus preaches a sermon like this, like the Beatitudes, when Jesus says things of this nature, when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs will be the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Or blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That just doesn't sound really good. If I don't know Christ, and I don't know his heart, you're telling me great when I'm persecuted. It's great when I'm broken in spirit. It's not an easy message to hear, and there are a lot of things that Jesus teaches that are not an easy message to hear, and we don't need to get in debates about certain issues to try to make lost people understand what God has convicted us of. If we start talking about the need to be sexually pure before we're married, or we start trying to make sure they understand uh, that marriage is between one man and one woman, and we start to argue with them. Hey, look, until people come to know Christ, that is what Jesus is talking about here. That's throwing pearls to pigs. He's not calling them necessarily a pig. He's using this as an illustration. You're taking a beautiful truth, an inside of the Holy Spirit, but you're giving it to someone who doesn't share your values or your conviction. What they need to hear is the good news of Jesus Christ that he loves them so much that he gave his life for them. So as we look at that passage, I think it's important that we understand what Jesus is saying. Now, uh, to help you understand this a little better, you know, my wife loves coffee. And for whatever reason, I just don't like coffee. I know it's crazy, because I know most of you drink coffee. Matter of fact, I I get offered coffee so much that I'll just help tell people sometimes, no thanks, I'm a Christian. And, uh, you know, just just so uh, they know that I don't like coffee, and they don't need to offer it to me. So if you see me in Starbucks, I'm drinking chocolate milk, all right? Or I'm drinking water. And uh, I don't know good coffee. My wife, all, it, she is forever in a question. Just try this coffee. Ooh, this is good co- coffee. This is from Ecuador. Or, you know, this is good coffee. This is from Colombia. And it's like pearls before a pig. Yeah, it's still coffee. I just can't appreciate it. I don't like it. Now, what do I like? I like chocolate milk. I can tell you all about chocolate milk tell you about, you know, there's Nexley's Quick, there's Hershey's, there's Bosco, there's Ovaltine, and I can tell you all about, there's Yahoo's. I mean, I can tell you all about chocolate milk, but I'm not refined enough to drink good coffee and appreciate it. That's the picture that Jesus has given us here. It's like uh, playing Mozart at a Willie Nelson concert, all right? That ain't what you're there for, all right? So it's imperative That we make sure the gospel is given and the gospel is made clear and understandable. That's what we're to share. So we shouldn't be so flustered when we realize those who don't know Christ don't share the heart of Christ. Don't share the values that we have. And we pray and we seek God's uh, Holy Spirit to work in and through their lives. And we share the message of hope. Well, then we go to our next passage here. And Jesus has already taught us, uh, his disciples, how to pray. Earlier in, the, in Matthew chapter 6, and the Lord's Prayer that just was sung. Uh, Jesus has already done that. And he's taught his believers, he's taught his followers how. But Jesus reiterates the importance of prayer. And here's, uh, I think, when we're talking about prayer Our perspective has everything to do with the way we read this next passage because this next passage is another passage again that can be abused and misused. True prayer is not us asking God for what we want. That's the way most people approach prayer God, give me what I want. I need some stuff. We're like the pig God, give me some stuff. Give me some stuff I can eat. What does a pig want in life? He wants more food. Why? So that he can be a bigger pig. And sometimes that's the way we are, isn't it? God, I need more stuff because I want to be bigger and better and have more. True prayer is not us asking God for what we want, it's asking God for what he wants. It's asking God for his kingdom to come his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven how do we come to god has everything to how we perceive god and how god uses prayer in our lives if we simply see god as an entity that gets us what we want then we've never really experienced who he is or do we see him as a beauty as something as a great and beautiful pearl in which we desire we want the pearl we want christ it's not simply what christ can do for us if he simply was god alone and had done nothing it would be reason enough for us to desire him but he yes in his infinite love and mercy has done so much more so is god what we want or do we simply want what god can get for us Jesus is saying here when you pray according to the heart of God when you pray as I have taught you he says this in verse 7 ask and it will be given unto you ask according to his kingdom ethic seek and you will find asking uh, has the picture of doing just that, of asking God. Seeking means that you are mentally beginning to search and to look and to try to figure it out. And he says, knock. Knock is the picture of continuing being, to be persistent and asking and seeking even when there are obstacles before you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. God, what do you want me to do today? God, how can I share? God, how can I make a difference? And then we begin to seek how we can make a difference. Seek how God wants to use us. We begin to see the needs around us, whether it be in our neighborhood or our church or our family. And we begin to knock. And knock on the door of the hearts of those God leads us to knocking on the, on the door to ask Christ to come in and to empower us to see his kingdom come, to see his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the Bible says, or which one of you, if his son ask him, will give him a stone? Now, often uh, a loaf of bread. It wasn't like, you know, our Wholesome bread, bunny bread, Mrs. Beer's bread. It wasn't all chopped up. It was usually kind of in a round loaf. And it would look similar, particularly at a distance, to a stone. And Jesus is saying, even an earthly father, even a pagan earthly father, what father would give their child a stone instead of bread? Or if he asked for a fish, will give him a serpent. Give him a thing, Dad, can I... I have a have something to eat. What were the staples, particularly in the Jewish diet at that time? We see it at the feeding of the five thousand, the feeding of the four thousand. It was fish and bread. And if a son asked a father for fish, he wouldn't give him a serpent. Now he's not talking about him. Okay, here's a snake. Uh, that's probably not the picture. He's talking about the meat of the snake. But the problem is, is that snake? It was an unclean animal. It was forbidden to be eaten by Jewish law. And so you wouldn't give your son meat that is unclean and make him ceremonially unclean. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to them who ask? Sometimes it's quite difficult for us to know what to ask. Sometimes it's enough to just be in His presence and just confess our sin, express our need for Him, and to listen, to keep asking, to keep seeking, to keep knocking. You know, I think of the property that we're sitting on today that God has given us. I remember the first time I asked about it. The answer was no. And then I went to the city, and somebody said no. And I was pretty discouraged. I had asked. I was seeking, and I remember coming back and talking to a couple of folks and a couple of strong believers, and they said, no, go back up there. Go back up there and ask. Go back up there see, Go back up there and knock. So I found myself knocking on the door. And you know what? God came. Not only did he come through, he blessed us abundantly beyond whatever I would have hoped or asked Sometimes it's the persistence of our prayer that yields result because it's just like our children. You know, it's Christmas time, and if you have younger children, you see this. You know, you know, about this time they go, "I want this," and I want that for Christmas, and I want that, and I want this. And if you make if you go ahead and purchase for them, let's say you get them three gifts. That's what we do at our house. Let's say you get them three gifts, and you take the November list. They'll probably be mad at you. You know why? Because there's something else that's come up in there. And what do you have to wait? You kind of have to wait until they ask and they start to seek and they show it to you. And they go, hey mom, hey dad. And then you kind of find out what really it is that they want. And we're often like that as well. We throw prayers up in the air. But what is it that you are consistently on your knees about asking the God of the universe? That you are seeking God. To have Him use Not just a prayer that you're throwing up every once in a while because you need something, because you're scared, because there's a need. But how consistently in your prayer life are you seeking Him and knocking on the door? Jesus says, be persistent. Ask, seek, and knock. A friend of mine, I met for coffee here last week. And... uh, he shared with me, and I've known this for a long time because we've been friends for over 20 years. His father was not a believer. Matter of fact, his father had been an agnostic. He, uh, he even subscribed to different agnostic and atheist magazines, which I didn't even know, quite frankly, existed. And, uh, you know, his father just never would hear. He, he had accepted Christ about uh, 20 years ago, but his father never would hear of it. His brother accepted Christ, his mother did, but his father just wouldn't hear of it. But his father became very sick. And uh, he was in the hospital and he had taken a turn for the better. And his son went in there and shared the gospel. And he received. 20 years he had prayed for his father, 20 years he had asked. And about four weeks before his father passed away, he accepted Christ. It was a prayer that he kept asking, he kept seeking, and he kept knocking. Some of you can tell the story of that, and some of you have loved ones that maybe you've prayed a few years, and you go, I don't know, God, I don't know, this seems like they're not interested. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. God hears our prayers, and he delights in answering prayers that honor his kingdom, that glorify him. He wants to. The question is, do we want to be a part of it? God's desire is that we would worship Him in spirit and truth. And as we come to this season of our nation, of our lives, there's a lot going on. As we think about the Ferguson riots, as we think about all the things that are going on, we see that Satan is truly seeking to kill, steal, and destroy. We see people against one another, and we see brothers and sisters in Christ fighting with one another. But that's not the way it was meant to be. It's easy for us to say, well, you know, this or that. That's why I think this, and that's why I believe that, and that's, that's just the way it is. The truth of it is, Jesus has called us to be ministers of reconciliation. The truth of it is, this is who we are as Christians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21, this is what we should be praying. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for the sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to flesh, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The Confederate prayer of purpose, a young man who was in the Confederate Army before the Battle of Gettysburg, penned these words. We don't have a name for him, but he gives us a beautiful picture of the power of prayer and the purpose of prayer. I asked God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I asked for help that I might do great things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I have might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for but everything that I needed. Almost Despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I, among all men, am most richly to be blessed.